Welcome to the ITSP Magazine Podcast Network. You're listening to a new episode of the Leadership Student Podcast with M.K. Palmore. We are all lifelong learners, and nowhere is this more relevant than in the practice of leadership. Our goal is continual learning and improvement. Let's get after it. Knowledge is power, now more than ever. Hey folks, welcome to another edition of the Leadership Student Podcast with your host, M.K. Palmore. Uh, In this series, I like to bring in guests and have conversations about the leadership journey of the guests and hopefully pull out tidbits from their background that might be helpful to you on your leadership journey. Today, we are joined by Keith McIntosh. Keith and I met recently at a conference and had the opportunity to spend some time with one another, and I was uh, uh, both blown away and astonished at his background, uh, and became super interested in having a conversation with Keith, Keith about his own leadership journey. Keith is currently the CIO for the University of Richmond. So yes, he's in the technology space with, uh, with myself. But at the same time, he's had a super interesting journey himself uh, over the years. And hopefully we're going to tease out some of those tidbits during the course of this conversation. Keith, welcome to the show. Okay, thank you so much for having me. It's an honor to be here. Keith, uh, why don't you help level set for the audience? I gave uh, your current position, but tell us a little bit about your background and how you got to the point uh, you are today. Yeah, I'm trying to think about how far I want to go back on that, but we won't go back way far. Uh, I grew up as a military brat, and my father served in the Air Force for 30 years, and that is important because uh, growing up as a military brat, I had an opportunity to live in various parts of the world and various parts of the United States. So I've lived in the Philippines as a child, Italy as a child, and several states in various uh, regions of the U.S. And our roots for my family as a military brat, you know, you have to claim roots where your parents are. So my parents are from a small town in southeast Kansas called Coffeyville, Kansas, and I grew up uh as my dad was in the military, he deployed quite a bit. We would often go back there. So I went to grade school, middle school, and high school there. So I kind of claim home there in another town nearby called Independence. So as a, as a young man in the military, a young person as a military brat, I went to multiple middle schools, multiple grade schools, multiple high schools, multiple college. And, and it was through my journey through uh, multiple colleges that my father had an interesting conversation with me that directed me to go into the United States Air Force. And we'll, we'll, I can All tell right. you more about that if you want to know, right? <laughs> uh, we, we, we definitely want to touch on your time in the Air Force. And I always like to, to pause and say thanks to the guests who are on board, who are fellow veterans. Uh, recognizing your service to the country is a very important aspect of, uh, of bringing folks in for these conversations. Yeah. So thank you. No, thank you. Thank you for your service as well. And and uh, I think I really started to cut my teeth on leadership uh, when I enlisted in the Air Force in 1983. Um, as you know, the military uh, does not take leadership for granted, and it's not something that happens by accident. They're very purposeful and intentional about growing their leaders, whether they're officers or enlisted. And I had found my home. The structure and organization and the discipline in the military was something that really aligned with who I was as a young man. And I started to get my sea legs, if you will, and that's how I grew to become, uh, you know, uh, enjoying leadership. I find that that's something I really lean into. I didn't, you know, as a young person, I didn't see myself as a leader, but once I joined the military, uh, it, it, it really took over. And the other thing that I think was instrumental is while I was in the military, I finished my educational background. I was able to get my associate's, bachelor's, and master's. So there's something that my mother and father had instilled in me 
but you know, I was doing things as a young man that I probably shouldn't have been doing. And I had to work on, uh, growing up while I was in the military. And I'm thankful for that because I would not be where I am today as a leader at the university of Richmond, if I hadn't had the air force journey and hadn't completed my educational experience while I was in the air force for 24 years. So Air Force 24 years, let's take a moment to acknowledge the benefit uh, in many ways, a sub-benefit of being in public service uh, that you were able to pursue uh, all aspects of your education from community college level all the way up through uh, master's. Uh, I know that that gets talked about a little bit, but how impactful was that, you know, the opportunity to both be in the professional world and at the same time accelerate and learn in your educational path, I'm sure was pretty helpful to you. It, it's tremendous. And I, you know, when I say that, I don't want to undersell it or oversell it, but it was tremendous. I, I believe I don't see another path for me to pursue my education if it was not for the opportunities that the military provided me. And that's not just the, the fiscal resources that they provide for uh, young men and women, but also the, the encouragement and support from leaders and, and, and colleagues uh, throughout the journey. Um, I'm very thankful for the fact, because when you think about the cost of having to do such, I did my degrees too over a 10 year period. So I was really moving quickly, but I was also progressing in the ranks. And so you have responsibilities. Uh, so it was, it was quite a tremendous effort to get there, but I'm thankful that I did it. And I'm thankful I had a spouse who's, who's, who uh, supported me in getting that accomplished as well. Yeah, all of those supporting elements, I think, are uh, are important for journeys like that. But uh, kudos to you for being able to accomplish that during the course of that that journey. You know, you mentioned that uh, that you moved around a lot uh, as a as a young person, mm-hmm. and I oftentimes think that the journey in leadership actually begins for some at a very young age. Can you talk a little bit about what kind of impact you think all of that moving around and having to resocialize yourself with new people from time to time? What that do to your character? Uh, in terms of how you engage and show up with people. Yeah, I absolutely, absolutely did. And you, you've nailed it uh, on the head. As I was thinking about preparing for this evening, and I've told this to my kids and I've said it to other people around the country when I've had an opportunity to speak with them. When you move around, you start all over. So all your credibility is gone that you build up someplace else. You have to start all over. So you cannot sit back and wait for things to come to you. You don't know how long you're going to be in that community. Sometimes you'll be there two years. Sometimes you might be there four years. But either way, it requires you to be very intentional and very proactive. So I was thankful for me that I was an athlete. So I had kind of an instant in that I could just go out for uh, sport teams and then find kind of my my people, right? But I was also uh, a pretty smart kid, so I was kind of a geek. So I was also in academic uh, circles that allowed me to make some connections Either way, both those two things force me to be very proactive. And uh, I'm thankful for that because as we as you grow up, it starts to become so part so much part of MK, part of your just natural things that you do that you don't think about. You know, I wouldn't say I was an introvert or an extrovert as a child, but you quickly learn that it's up to you to make the most of the environment that you're in. It's up to you to be proactive about it. So if your situation is not what you like, do something different to make your situation different. Right. So um, you participated in, uh, I assume, high school sports, a multi-sport athlete or single sport? No, multi-sport. So my dad was a jock, my mom was a jock, and sports was, it was not something that was forced on us, but it was definitely something that was presented at us, and I'm thankful for the opportunity to play sports. So I played 
all the traditional sports as a young man. I played basketball, baseball, football, and I ran track. And I was decent at some and better at others, but I will say I lettered in all the sports that I uh, played in in high school, and I was ended up making starting teams and things of that nature. Uh, but the sports, uh, what I what I love about the sports aspect, and it really has a direct tie to Leadership MK, is that mm -hmm. you learn what it means to work with a group of people to accomplish a goal that you can't get there by yourself. It requires dedication, discipline, sacrifice, understanding of what it like, what it means to be on a team, knowing that there are times where you need to step up and there's times that you need to take a back seat. So part of leadership to me is also learning about followership, right? And I'm thankful for each and every one of those. I have a, a, a small story to tell that I think epitomizes sports and my father and his rule of discipline for me. I'll share that now. I remember I was one of the, we were stationed in California, Southern California, and I was one of the better baseball athletes in Southern California. And my dad in the military was often couldn't make my games. Sometimes he would show up in the middle of the game. But, you know, when you're in the heat of a game, you're not looking at the stands or anything like that. And my dad emphasized how we were to comport ourselves when we played. You know, you are Macintosh when you get out of the field or you go out of the court, you're going to be professional. You're going to do this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, dad, thank you. And I remember I hit a single that I should have stayed on first base, but I thought I could push it to second. So I pushed a single into a double and I didn't make it. I got thrown out at second. And I jumped up and I threw what I would say now is just a glorified temper tantrum with the umpire. And I, as walking off the field, going toward third base, going to my dugout, lo and behold, I see a black man in uniform in the dugout, which was my father. And I think I think we could have guessed that as you were yeah as, yeah. I, as I'm envisioning you walking back to the dugout and it was a long walk second to third's not that far but third to the dugout felt even further and as I was walking into the dugout I heard him say get your stuff let's go this is middle of the game this is middle of the season I didn't play baseball the rest of that season wow and so that that you know my dad wasn't strict but he was definitely firm and fair. And uh, that is a lesson that I'm telling you the story now because it just meant yeah. that much to me. It stuck with you. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So um, I want to dig into maybe the um, impression that your that your father made on you. Um, but as it relates to sports, maybe is there a particular coach for whom you had experiences with and something about their leadership style maybe either resonated with you or failed for you in terms of how it was that they delivered the discipline of leadership to the team. Uh, did you see good and bad examples from coaching? Yeah, I, I, I did. And, and, I, and uh, I won't say names, but I, I remember a coach that I had. Uh, the way I play, I'm a, I, I give 100% when I'm playing sports. I, I, I'm all for the team and I, I'll give up my body to do whatever we need to do. And, but I also don't show a lot of emotion on the court or on the field. So it may not look like I am in the game or as motivated as maybe somebody else who's yelling and screaming. I think, you know, you have to understand that everybody comes at this right. differently. And I remember playing football and a football coach did what most football coaches did and grabbed my face mask and shook it around. And 
it just turned me off from the game. I mean, it just turned me off from the game because MK, what was wrong with that for me was that's your thing, but that doesn't motivate me. That actually does the opposite to me. Right. And, but somehow I was feeling like I was less than, right. And as a young person, you're wrestling with a lot of things and trying to figure out. And the person that's in the, the coaching role is the authority figure. So you're trying to figure out how can I best please this coach and how can I be best for my teammates? But I found that that style didn't work for me. And that's something I learned that I think I carry with me as a leader that, you know, it's better to kill people with kindness for lack of better words and treat people fairly and try to positively motivate them than try to negatively motivate them. Uh, but on the flip side, I've had coaches who had, you know, pull up next to me, put their arm around me and walk me off to the side and whisper in my ear. And I'm gonna tell you, the impact that that whisper in my ear was so heavy that I would have ran through the wall for that person. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, what you're describing are like the different levers that are available at that stage in life, right? For coaching, high school sports, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, I, I think those levers, you either learn for them from them or you don't. And I'd be surprised if you didn't have maybe a story or two from your time in the military where uh, you had to either exercise different levers of, uh, you know, responsibility. Maybe it was with uh, enlisted personnel who reported to you or even vice versa up, up the chain uh, and maybe how you tackled that. But I, I, I want to save that for a minute. Okay. I do want to I do want to capture uh, and talk about uh, the impact that your dad's style of leadership had on you because it, it my assumption would be is that you probably carry different aspects of that with you even uh, to today, especially if it makes a strong imprint on you. So it, it round that out for me that vision, like what kind of impact he had on your leadership style. My suspicion. My example uh, that I share with people is that my father was the first to ever identify that leadership was a discipline to me. He told me about it. We talked about it in those terms, uh, and it was pretty impactful. So uh, let me open the stage to you. It's, talk a little it, bit. About so that that's eerily. There's. I was getting goosebumps as you were saying that was eerily similar. My dad was. Um, he was. You know, first off, my dad was a deacon in a church, and he was a very passionate gentleman. And so using words was his passion. And he had a, I would say my dad was a very relational leader. Like everywhere we went, people knew him. But, you know, when you can see how they approached him and spoke to him, there was such reverence and respect for him. And I was like, what is, what, what is my dad doing that's causing people to, you know, they would just would do anything for him. And, I, and so that's what I observed. What he would say to me was similar like your father talking to you and he was like well he'd say well son come here i want to talk to you so we had a lot of talks and i remember him saying uh something that i say often now that leadership is about you know and this is a terminology we learned in the military so i know where he got it from but he said it in his own way to me that leadership is about influencing people to get something done and the key word is influence and each person is influenced differently it's up to you as a leader to figure that out, right? You can't be the type of person that just has, he used to say, please do not have one arrow in your quiver. You must have multiple arrows in your quiver so you know what arrow to pull out that's appropriate for the person that you're trying to influence, the person or group that you're trying to influence. He, so in a, in a way, he was saying the same thing that your father was telling you about leadership being a discipline. And I see it in practice often, the way he would... Uh, approach folks and a lot of his leadership was very soft-spoken instruction i never saw my dad get 
angry or loses cool. Um, but I also know, because I, I, I was a you know typical young boy, that he could stand firm and get after you, right? And so I know right. he would do that at work. But to be able to do that, but still have people respect you before, during, and after, I thought, okay, that's how I want to be. Yeah. Powerful impact I think our parents have on us. Um, certainly uh, in most instances, it, it can be from father to son. Certainly there are examples, I'm sure, uh, of folks uh, like in my case too, extended in life where you see examples of leadership from your mom as well and, and, and just, you know, just your family in general, because they are the first authority figures uh, for whom you come into contact and you, you, they make an imprint uh, one way or another. Yeah. Uh, and in many instances that can be positive and in some instances kind of negative, but it's up to you to, to sort of sift through that, figure out the stuff that you want to keep uh, and figure out the stuff that, you know, you want to shuttle. Yeah. And thinking about my mom, who was, my mom was a little more spirited. Um, and I remember a situation where I was in grade school and I was involved with something with some other kids but I was unfairly accused of something. And uh, that's my story and I'm sticking with that to today. And uh, there was discipline handed out and discipline, when I got home and I told my mom about it, her demeanor changed. We were back in the car. We were barreling back to town to the school. We were going through the school like we own the place and she walked right into the principal's office and then just laid into the principal i had never seen that type of display before um but it changed the outcome of what was uh the the, the rulings of the day and um i had a different respect for my mother that day uh because you have to think about as a it didn't dawn on me then, but it, it really dawns on me now to think about a black woman in the 60s going into a pretty much an all white school and having the courage and the conviction to defend your young black boy. That's huge. Yeah. Well, black mothers have been defending their black sons uh, since the beginning of time. They've been right? to that. Yes. And, uh, and, and, and you should expect for them to do so. Yes. Um, Awesome, awesome stuff. Hey, I, I want to transition to uh, your time in the Air Force. Yeah. Uh, because uh, the impact, really, especially for folks who haven't served, I mean, it, you, you can't underscore enough uh, the mental impact and impression that military service leaves on the individuals who are uh, veterans. And for those of us that come out on the other side as as viewing it as a uniquely positive experience, it I think it's something that we carry with us through the entirety of our lives, or at least that's my proposition from, you know, what I've seen. Mm -hmm. Talk a little bit about, um, you know, your early experiences in the Air Force, maybe when you first got um, a level of responsibility, what it was like leading and, and, and how you thought about leadership and how that probably, I'm assuming, changed over the arc of your career. Yeah, that's a great question. Everything you said preceding that, I absolutely 100% agree with. I remember, I remember actually the first arc of leadership really started in basic training with me. Yeah. And I, uh, I have a couple of stories I'll share, but this one real quickly, for some reason I was picked as a squad leader 
and I did not want to be the squad leader. I did not want to be responsible for a bunch well, of. If I, if I remember correctly, you're relatively tall, right? So yes. Like yes, a, and, yeah, and, it, so and, it, and all, it, all of us, all of us tall guys get uh, we we yeah. get the responsibility or details very early on. You, we, you're in charge of these three other people. Don't mess it up. Absolutely, and so uh, <laughs> and you don't get a choice in it. So it was a reluctant leadership, but you learn how to lean into it, and I, I learn. You know, maybe I made a few mistakes along the way, but it, 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 it got me past the I don't want to be a leader. It got me thinking perhaps I could do this leadership thing. And then fast forward, I'm in the Air Force about three or four years. I've just been uh, commissioned. I just made uh, became a non-commissioned officer. I'm given some role responsibilities some budgetary responsibilities and I'm accountable. I'm accountable for my team and we had a crisis issue with a major system and, you know, I'm having to make decisions that say you, you and you go home, but come back at two in the morning. You, you and I are going to stay till, you know, four in the morning. So there's overlap trying to direct that. And it's just you get a sense of accountability, MK, and you just have to lean into it. And uh, the other thing that I will say the military got me thinking about was doing the right thing for the right reasons. And if you're doing the right things for the right reasons and in the right way, then you should be able to stand fast and stand firm in your, your conviction to do what you're doing as a leader. And I think that resonates with people uh, if you're treating them fairly and you're doing those things. And that's what I started on and that's what I built from. I know you just want to talk about the early aspects of my career. There. No, so, I mean, my, my experience was that, you know, I, I thought differently about leadership, certainly as a, uh, a midshipman and then as a second lieutenant in the Marines, uh, that that idea of leadership really evolved for me. I mean, I, I my early experience was really based around what I consider to be direct leadership. Right. You you're the second lieutenant. You show up. You're in charge. Mm-hmm. You're here. are your troops, blah, blah, blah. It's easy to say, hey, Gunny, come here. <laughs> Here's what needs to happen. Blah, blah, blah. Right. Um, but then going into um, the private sector, that style of leadership needs some tweaking, some nuances, right? So I, I, I'm interested to hear from your vantage point. I know you spent uh, decades in service, but I'm interested to hear how your perception of leadership changed over time. Because the way I see you now, I'm sure you're you're probably a, a mentor to folks and people turn to you for uh, advice. You have this cool, calm demeanor. Was it always that way or is that something you had to grow into? I, I think I was always this way in in an aspect, but I think I've perfected it over time. Let's okay. say that much. And when I think about leadership, I, I've always early on in my career, my first professional development opportunity or professional military education opportunity, I was exposed to leadership theory from Ken Blanchard and David Hershey called situational leadership. And it, it hit me like a ton of bricks. Like, this is it. I did resonate. Yeah. I I really, really, really like this situational leadership and it just made sense to me. And so I will say one thing I constantly remember doing, I said, Mac, you, you need to approach leadership. Like, you know, nothing about it. So you have to be open to read, read, study, watch, ask questions. And then the other thing I told myself, try stuff out. Because it's just all theory, theory until you 
put it into a practical yeah, uses. Absolutely. And so for me, I mean, a team of people, right? So I said, <laughs> Okay, and so I didn't tell anybody that I was trying stuff out, but I would try stuff out to see what worked for me. And if I felt comfortable doing it, and I felt like the responses I was getting back were what I was looking for, then that stayed in my leadership toolkit. If it didn't, I jettisoned it. How often do you rely uh, in your current day practice uh, of the discipline? How often do you rely on reading about others? Um, you know, well, obviously we have available to us now all kinds of medium that will allow you to watch videos and people giving lectures on leadership. Like what's what's your sweet spot? Is it reading biographies? Is it just counting on your own experience? Do you journal? Like what, what, what are some of the ways that you grow as a leader or at least you think maybe helps you to grow as a leader? Yeah, so that's a great question because I think you never stop growing. If you get to a point where you feel like you've figured it out and you've got you you got it all settled, I think the world's going to pass you by. At least that's the way I was raised, and that's what I believe. So for me, it's different now that I'm at my where I'm at in my career and my life right now. But when I was younger, I consumed everything. So I was that young man in the military that was reading U.S. News and World Report. It wasn't the most exciting thing to read, but I really wanted to be, understand what was happening in the world to better apply what could, be, what could be the impact to the United States and what could be the impact to the United States Air Force, right? That's the kind of connections I was trying to make as a young man. Uh, I already talked about you know, situational leadership. So any, any books that I saw on my commander's or my leader's desk, I'd ask them about it and see if I can get a copy. And then if I liked it, if, when I read the forward or the first pair, first chapter, I'd go buy it, right? Uh, around my house today, I probably have, you know, books in every room that I have started to read or I will read at some point in my life. I don't, I'm not as uh, voracious a reader now, MK, as I was earlier, but I will say the journey continues because I try to go to professional development opportunities every once or, you know, about once every two or three years and I also subscribe, I'm active on social media. So I try to get myself in the right uh, social media circles where leadership is discussed. Um, I'm a big fan of inclusive leadership. So there's a lot of uh, groups on LinkedIn and other and Twitter that folks are talking about inclusive leadership. Uh, I'm fortunate at the University of Richmond, we have uh, access to LinkedIn learning, which is a professional development of a lot of types of courses. and. Although I, I try to be diverse in my uh, my training that I'm doing, if you go look, probably 80% of it or 90% of what I consume is leadership development. Yeah, great. Um, I want to pull back the thread a little bit. Uh, you mentioned inclusivity a couple of times, uh, diversity. Um, have you found in your observation and practice that leading as, a, as an African-American man that, that you've had to be cognizant of that as a leader? Have there been times where um, your presence as a black man in leadership has maybe uh, not gone the way that you expected it to? Uh, is it impactful at all? Yeah, I, I, as much as I, I do a lot of conversations around my campus about race and other type of cross-cultural activities and conversations and dialogue, I do a lot of talks around the country as well. And race is always, it's just part of the fabric of the United States. 
ever present. It's right? ever present. So you can't get away from it. And I think as a person of color, especially as a black man, and I, you know, the way my parents raised me, they, they instilled in me early on that you are going to be a black man in America. So therefore, these are the things that come with that. Uh, you cannot feel sorry for yourself. You can't get angry about that. These are the facts as they are, and you are equipped to deal with it. And so deal with it accordingly. It's almost like a, a battle battle plan, right? Here's the lay of the land. Here are the tools that you have available to you. Go out and be successful. Ab, ab, you know, okay, absolutely. No excuses about it. Go forth and conquer, right? And I, I come back to my father and how he carried himself is the way I try to carry myself. I have a cousin who lives in Minnesota and it was his birthday. I said, I was talking with him and he says, you just have a way of making people feel comfortable around you. Now, I don't consciously think about that, MK, and that's probably a gift that's been given to me. And there's probably a little bit of working on trying to understand who's sitting across from me, be mindful of my presence, because I know as a six foot, 200 something pound black man, there's a presence that comes in. but I, you know, there have been times in my career where I know my demeanor and my size has caused problems for people, especially uh, white people. Um, uh, there have been times when I feel like my room for error is much less than somebody else from a different demographic. Uh, there have been times when there's an expectations and it goes, it goes another way too. I think sometimes when you are successful as a black man, you can sometimes receive expectations upon you that are heavy to carry from the black community, right? That you should be able to do X, Y, and Z. And when you don't, then it feels like you haven't fulfilled your true, uh, your true calling as a black man, if you will. I'm trying to be politically correct here. Okay. Oh, I understand. I understand. So, but, no, I, go ahead. But, it, but it's, but overall, I will say, I'm always a glass half full or three quarter full type of guy. I will say that I've been very fortunate in my career. I've had, there have been issues and incidents and we could talk about that views alike, but overall I can't complain. Uh, I've been very fortunate uh, in my career. We don't have to uh, spend a ton of time in this zone. Uh, I think it's inappropriate not to recognize it as a, right. As a, yes. As something that, you know, when you show up, men of color like yourself and myself, we have to deal with that. People don't even, others probably don't even think about it. Uh, but I personally, you know, as you were describing, I'm a six foot two, uh, relatively big black guy. Like when I show up in the room, um, there are expectations and things that, that, that immediately formulate, especially for people who have not met me. And I've been <clears throat> accused from time to time uh, of being a fairly serious person too. So it's like, I, I may, <laughs> I show up in the room, uh, very serious demeanor. People tend to notice me. And then it's like, I, I have to disarm them. Right. So I've had to learn that over time though. Uh, I have to be the disarming one. Otherwise I'm, uh, you know, visually unapproachable, uh, cause who's just going to come up to you and start talking to you unless they know, uh, know you already. Yeah. I love that because that so resonates. I, I, I pride myself with being professional in all settings. Uh, I love to joke around, uh, but I, I do know that, you know, again, back to where I'm raised, depending on the situation and the context, I'm going to comport myself a certain way. Yeah. And 
but when I come into a room, uh, there's, 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 it's my mother and father instilling certain things in me about how I'm going to stand tall, look people in the eye, shake, you know, shake hands firmly. There's also the military bearing that was taught to me in the military. And that doesn't go away. And I'm not going to be a shrinking violet for anybody. Right. So when I come in a room, just as you said, I have had to help others feel comfortable. So put a smile on your face. Right. You know, soften your gaze if you can. Soften your voice. These are all things that I don't think a lot of people think too much about, but I have to. I remember distinctly, um, and this happened more than one time in my career, but one time this I heard through the grapevine that this one lady that I said hi to every day for like, I don't know, a year, thought I was stuck up. I was all about myself. And probably thought you were mean. Yeah. And 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 I and I, I figured out, well, what I was trying to do is just be professional. I, you know, she was a attractive lady. I didn't want to come off weird. So I was just say hi and keep walking. And 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 if I would have found myself in a situation where we would have had an opportunity to have a conversation, I would have. And it wasn't until uh, I was hanging out with one of her friends in another situation and she came up and I saw them talking and, and I could see the young lady that knew me go, he's not like that. And then it changed the world for that person. But she described to me, it was the way I looked and the way I carried myself is why she, she drew that conclusion. So I had to learn to smile uh, it, and, and spend yeah. some time with people. <laughs> It, it can be challenging. Yes. You know, you spend time, you spend time in the military that gives you that, you know, sort of, first of all, bearing and presence is not something that's talked about outside of the military. You know, but they are, two, they are two components of leadership that us military folks hear about early on. Yep. I, and, and again, probably your situation is the same. I actually heard those words from my father when I was a kid. I did. About my bearing, how I carried myself in a room. Yeah. Um, those anyway, you know, you carry those things uh, forward with you. Uh, they all have to be uh, sort of managed. And at, at the very least, you know, I have a saying, uh, know who you are before you enter the room, which is you got to understand how, you know, when you show up, you got to understand what, what kind of impact that has so that you can adjust accordingly. Right. Yeah. And I think that's good advice, no matter what your demographic is. Right? Absolutely. I think. You, Absolutely. And, and, and it actually. And actually, it's an affirming thing to think that way and gives you confidence when you walk into the room. You bet. You yeah. bet. So um, you're you're on this leadership journey uh, in the Air Force. Um, at what point did you get uh, exposure to the technical side? Were you always in the technical side of the house in the Air Force? And yes. or did, was that something that happened after the fact? No, I was very fortunate. I think about as I told you, I wasn't doing the right thing. And then I came in and I listed in the military and the military put me in the communications career field, which quickly, I think within two and a half, three years being in, I came in the early eighties, uh, technology started to become more prevalent. And then as career fields or AFSCs or MOSs or NECs, as they call them, started to merge, I found that I ended up being in a information technology role. And so, yeah. I came up through the system administrator side of the house. I ended up being a database administrator and doing security administration as well before I moved into leadership. And I found like I loved it, right? I, I really did. I, 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 I prided myself. Um, I remember I was a young NCO, but I was given responsibility. We had, I was stationed at Cheyenne Mountain 
and Shine Mountain, uh, NORAD, U.S. Space Command was putting in a new command and control system and uh, around the world, and they had various bases that were installed in. In Colorado Springs, we had two locations, and my bosses worked at the headquarters down at Peterson Air Force Base, and they gave me autonomy to lead my team to install the, uh, the command and control system inside of Cheyenne Mountain. So here I am as you know, I'm in my early 30s. I'm a young man with a team of four or five people, and we're responsible for installing a multi-million dollar command and control system that's going to be used to help the warfighter, right? Right. And I think when you, you know, you probably remember this too, MK. When you're going through it, you don't think about the magnitude of what's been given to you. But when you look back, you go, you were given a lot of autonomy and a lot of responsibility, but you're also going to be held accountable for things that didn't go well. Uh, and I think carrying that forward to today, there's a lot of things that pop up in my civilian career field, civilian uh, career, that people say, oh, my gosh. And I go, well, in perspective to what I've been in through, this is pretty, pretty mild. Right. Levels. Hey, yeah. uh, I do me a favor. Um, I have a belief yeah. that being in the technology realm actually forces us to sort of think differently about how we lead. Uh, but I'd be interested to hear your opinion on that, because I think that it, it, technology is one of the rare career fields. And I use the term technology broadly. Obviously, we're talking about information technology, cybersecurity, all of the kinds of things. The reason you and I know one another, this this yep. broad this broad field of technology. I have a sense that um my experience has been since being in the private sector that your knowledge as it relates to technology, oftentimes people assume that that deep knowledge doubles for leadership capabilities and, and they don't. It is the old adage of, say, if we use a sports analogy, how someone's a great athlete and maybe not so great a coach uh, because the skills are not necessarily aligned and transferable when it comes to leading and or performing. Uh, my sense is that, from what I've seen, that in the technology field, there's an over-index on someone's technical capabilities and knowledge as opposed to their leadership skills. I'm just wondering what you've seen of that, whether or not you struggle with that at all, because you're you're sort of towing the line on both ends. You've got leadership experience, but you also have technical experience. And I'm just wondering what your observations have been in terms of that bifurcation of technical capabilities and leadership capabilities. Yeah, I think that bifurcation bifurcation is true. And I will say that my technical skills are not once not what they once were, right? And I think uh, a couple things. Absolutely, your premise, I absolutely agree with, MK. I, I, I believe that, one, the technology fields change too rapidly. Uh, so it requires folks that are in the technical capacity to kind of focus on their technical orientation. But if you are making the transition to leadership, uh, the way I was taught and what I and I mentor a lot of young folks, especially young folks of color who want to move into leadership, I said, what got you to where you are today will not get you where you want to go tomorrow. Um, right. And and so and that's a wake up call. And I said, I would rather you hear that from me now. So you understand that there might be some transferable attributes of what you learn when you were doing technology a b or c but being the most proficient at technology a b or c does has nothing to do with your ability to lead at these next levels and the quicker you learn that the better i also think that leadership i don't want to say this um leadership really if, if folks are relying on their technical 
prowess to lead. I, I think they're in the forest with the trees. Does that right. make sense? I think, absolutely. I so think let, you, let me go ahead. Let me let me let me pull that out a little bit for you because I, what my a, a great example of this, not a singular example, but uh, in the startup community, um, there are lots of really brilliant people in the startup community that bring technology to the table that in some cases has been world changing. And I think what happens at some point during that journey, they realize that their technical skills and capability as founders only take them so far. And so how many instances have we seen of founders being supplanted by business leaders and others, maybe just pure people with just raw leadership skills being put in positions of responsibility over those founders once once the shareholders and, 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 the, and the VCs get involved mm-hmm. because they understand that, you know, that that person and I'm just using this is kind of a generic story, but that person's technical capabilities are not what's needed to get the company into that zone of where they're actually building, making money, generating revenue, selling, doing whatever, whatever it is that companies need to do in order to survive. But maybe they were the corpus of that original concept and they had the original idea and the technical acumen to build something. They have not necessarily been the ones to take those companies to the next stage. Uh, and that's a recognition, I think, of uh, the skills that are in those instances, not present in those folks in order to take the, the company to the next level. It happens all the time. Yeah, it happens all the time. And not even just, in, but I think your example in entrepreneur realm is, uh, is, a, is a wonderful example, but you see it also in just day-to-day uh, technical skills. I, I think and, and that's unfortunate though, because I, you know, I'd like to think that people have the capacity to learn, grow and develop. Uh, and as I was talking about earlier, when I'm a big fan of situational leadership and, and me, that was a perfect example of situational leadership. When you're starting a company and you're groundbreaking and you're trying to get that hustle or get whatever product or out there, mm-hmm. there's a style of leadership and a style of, uh, of technical, there's technical skills that are required, but at some point you reach some type of momentum or you reach some type of level, which requires a different type of leadership. And, and right. it's the person, first off, you have to recognize that that's that is occurring. And then you have to really sit back and assess what's the appropriate style of leadership or what's needed at this moment. And I think a lot of times if you're, it's sad that it may not be in the same person, right? But you would hope that a person- Is it sad or is it merely uh, a recognition of something that's, that's, I don't know that. No, no, no. Yeah, you're, you're, you're right. right? You're, you're right. Because you know, <laughs> it's, it's, so, it's not the, necessarily sad. You're right, and so maybe that's 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 me with the glass half full of finding <laughs> that a person could actually be able to do all things and be all things with everybody. But I think maybe it's a better recognition because I think also to know what your skill set is. You were talking about earlier, know what you, yeah. who who you are, and I think maybe that's a recognition of saying, okay, that that that's not me, and I think we now need somebody else. But even then, it kind of comes back to marry your thoughts with what I said. It requires you to recognize that it's if there's a new style of leadership or something else is needed at this moment. So I don't have that, but I at least recognize it. So I'm going to try to make sure we go get that. Oh, and then the best examples, I won't name him by name, but one of the most fascinating founders that I know personally um, was not the CEO of the company that he founded. He's a CTO because his thing was technology. He knew how to focus on the technology aspects of the company. And at some point during that company's growth, he brought in a CEO and someone else to sort of be the face of the company. And 
that company is huge and thriving now and doing very well uh, because of those decisions that were made at those at those data points. Um, so that <laughs> I, I I pose this question to everyone that I've talked to. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I need to do a whole separate show on this. But what we are touching on is this idea of whether or not leaders are born or made. Uh, I have a particular stance on this, but I want to hear your I want to hear your stance. Oh, see, other you've been going first in a lot of times, but now you, I, I don't know if I'm being set up here. I, I I I strongly believe that leaders can be made. Uh, that that's the that's where I come down, and I come down with both feet on that side of the fence. Uh, you know, you hear the thing about natural born leaders, but I think there's, and I said it earlier that I. You know, I, I got exposed to leadership and I found I liked it, but I didn't know a doggone thing about it. And I had to learn more and I had to perfect my craft. So I had to both build up my theoretical and my practical knowledge and experience. And I continue to do that throughout the course of my career. I find it rare now, that, and I know there's probably going to be different schools of thought here. I, I remember distinctly working for a leader who did not believe in professional development, who did not believe in the leadership books. And so I struggled with that because I'm like, well, there's so many other smart people who have existed on the planet who could share their knowledge with you to think that you have figured it all out or you will figure it all out on your own doesn't make sense to me. So I think there's a little bit of humbleness that you need to have that you don't know everything, but you can learn things and you can learn things by observing you can learn things by listening you can learn things by reading and you can learn things by doing and i think leaders can be made they're not born so i'd love to hear what you think okay you probably disagree with me no absolutely i actually agree 100 percent with you okay. um for a very long time i've been of the mindset that i think uh leaders are absolutely made uh but i do believe and so as a nuance to that belief probably like you, that there are certain characteristics and things that are present in people, but they have to be nurtured in an appropriate way. And someone uh, in all likelihood, other than that person needs to identify and tap into that to help that person nurture those aspects that help them grow into being a leader. Um, and those are some of the best leaders I think you'll find. So they, they have sort of these this recipe of things that are baked into who they are. And if the right things happen to them, Along the way, they can matriculate and become uh, awesome leaders in, in, a, in a lot of different spaces. I absolutely agree with you. I can think back numerous times in my career where somebody pulled up next to me, put their hand on my shoulder and said, Mac, can you have a minute? Walk with me. And they were, they had seen something in me that I had not noticed in myself. And they shared something with me and they planted a seed that I was like, oh, I cannot unthink this now. It's going to be in my mind all day, every day for the rest of my life that they are like, have you ever considered you should be doing this? Right. And, and, but it's those little promptings that have come by in my career. And I try to do those things now. And I told you this when we were together, I uh, gave a small example of a, a project that I'm involved with uh, trying to grow young leaders of color in higher education, because what I found is many of them have been in their careers for 10, 15 years without mentors, without coaches, without supervisors who give a care at all about who they are in their professional development. And so when we bring 12 of these individuals from around the country together in a year long professional development uh, uh, 
program that focuses on being a person of color and giving them giving them the tools and the access and exposure, but also more importantly, giving them the confidence. And that's a big part, telling them that they can, telling them that they will, telling them that they deserve it, right? And then standing there with them and helping them, you know, at some point you're holding the hand and at some point you have your hand on their back and their shoulder, and then at some point you let them go because they just took off running. And I've seen that time and time again. So not only from a theoretical, but also from a practical, I believe that to be super true. And I have so much testimony around that, both in my personal life and helping others. You familiar with the film Inception? Yes. <laughs> it's one of my favorite movies of all time for lots of different reasons. Visually. Yeah, visually. It's I'm, awesome. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a fan of the director who created the whole concept, Christopher Nolan. Yeah. Uh, but I, I've often thought um, in my own personal arc and journey how the concept of something like leadership was planted in me at an early age. And I was given this idea that I needed to believe in myself as a leader. And somehow, as it does in the movie, this idea like germinates over time and then actually becomes part of who you are so much so that you can't deny it. Like it's, it becomes part of your DNA. So for my Inception fans out there, uh, You've now seen me tie Inception to the uh, leadership arc of, of people, but uh, definitely one of my favorite movies. Well, and I think this idea of seeding, like you said, giving confidence and seeding this idea, especially with young people, you'd be surprised how often that just takes off and they actually then grow into and become and think of themselves as leaders for their entire lives. And it makes you think, though, how many people are going around and it, it breaks my heart how many people are just languishing away without that around in their environment. Yeah. Right. Right. So um, the, the idea of mentorship, probably the last topic that we're going to have an opportunity to cover here. Um, I get the sense and I think you've indicated that you're probably a mentor to others. How important is that um, uh, for you to be, to both serve in that capacity as mentor? Uh, and how important was it uh, for you to have mentors in terms of your career arc and journey? Yeah, I would not be here without mentors. I think about there were definitely senior leaders in the military that I felt uh comfortable talking to who could give me advice and counsel and instruction because they've been there, done that before me. And I just think, why are we trying to navigate the world without the roadmap and benefit of those who've gone before us, right? And people have wisdom to share, share it. And I was taught uh, by my parents to remain humble and make sure you're giving back. And I know as much as mentorship has had a powerful impact in my life while in the military, but especially in higher education. When I came into higher education, changing career fields, as you were talking about, um, it, it's it's a big shift, and 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 not all the things that you were successful with in the military will make you successful in your other career fields. So I needed people to help me understand this thing called higher education because it is different. And I was fortunate that my supervisor, Kirk Kelly, you know, he, 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 he put me on his wings and, and showed me the ropes and helped me along the way. But I also reached out to people. I remember one of the first things I did when I got on LinkedIn, as I found something, it was 2009, 2010, I found a, 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 an Air Force colonel who retired and was working in higher ed IT. And I just cold, cold called him and, and said, hey, I am a retired Air Force person. And I'm now working in higher education and I want to get to where your level is. Can we start sharing and talking? And they took me up and I figured they would being a military, that military, military connection. But I've reached out to a lot of folks. And so now 
I am part of two mentorship programs and we do this other fellowship. And I find the cool thing about it is when I see the light bulb go off in my mentee and they figure out who they are and they get aligned with their destiny and they start to pursue it, MK, I get goosebumps right now, man. I get fired up. And then the other thing, I think, good. it feels wonderful. But the other thing is it keeps the old man smart and honest. I learn a lot through the journey, right? I'm reminded of the struggles and there's a lot of smart people out there and they come in all different types of shapes and sizes and colors. And so for me to mentor a wide variety of people helps me be a better leader. So Mac, uh, this conversation's been awesome. Fascinating even at times. I know we kind of uh, drifted a little bit and kind of went all over the map, uh, but I do think that part of that, um, that journey of conversation that we went through, a lot of it are, are tidbits that people will be able to take away from their, uh, from that discussion and really uh, help and grow in their own leadership style and development. I want to thank you for uh, joining me on the Leadership Student Podcast. So thank you. Warm, uh, warm thanks from MK Palmore to uh, Keith McIntosh. Thanks. Yeah, MK, thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure being here. I enjoyed it. All right, folks, that's it for this episode of the Leadership Student Podcast. Be on the lookout for us on social media and uh, like and share the episodes with your friends. We'll see you next time on The Leadership Student. We hope you enjoyed this episode of The Leadership Student Podcast with M.K. Palmore, part of the ITSB Magazine Podcast Network. If you learned something new and this conversation made you think, then add this show to your favorite podcast player subscribe to the ITSP Magazine YouTube channel and share the ITSP Magazine podcast network with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to connect your brand to our conversations and our audience, visit ITSPMagazine.com to learn how to sponsor one or more of our podcast channels. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey.